0: This episode of Show Me the Meaning is brought to you by Movie, a curated online cinema streaming exceptional films from around the globe. Also, this episode is brought to you by Mr. Koya. Head to MrKoya.com and enter the code SHOWME at checkout to receive 20% off your order, plus free shipping when you buy two or more shirts. Hey everyone, welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast.
1: Show me the meaning!
0: Hell Yeah. My name is Jared. I'm joined here with Greg.
1: Hey, I'm Greg
2: Edwards.
0: And Austin.
2: Hey, I'm Austin (laughs) Hayden-Smith.
0: Nice. Uh, All right, so today we're talking about the Baba Yaga himself. We're talking about John Wick, the 2014 movie directed by Chad Stileski and David Leach, who also, for both of you who are on the Deadpool 2 podcast, directed Deadpool 2. Okay. And uh, starring, starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, so first, I want to ask for per- first impressions, but I want you guys to tell me what's it like seeing it for the first time, what's it like revisiting it, and have you ever owned a dog?
1: Oh, man. Uh, Let's start with Greg. All right. Uh, I loved it the first time I saw it. I loved it every single time I saw it. I loved part mm-hmm. two of it. I think it's great. Uh, and yes, I have owned a dog. And yeah, I Talk, just see. T- tell me about your dog. Oh, man. Oh, this is sad. Okay, uh, well, I don't <laughs> no, no, no. No, 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 it's it. not. I, mean, <laughs> I look, Make first, it happy. I got this dog <laughs> when I was like maybe three years old. Uh, my favorite cartoon was Casper the Friendly Ghost. I got like mm-hmm. this all white dog. Uh, it's a Welsh Corgi and I named her Casper. And uh, Casper was with us. Until I was like nineteen, and then she and I did. And leave it good at that. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't. I, love it. I can't take the sides <laughs> oh, yeah. when it comes to dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: All right, Austin, what about you? Yeah, I mean, there was so much hype about this film before I saw it for the first time, and so I went in kind of still being a bit skeptical because I was like, "Really? Is it? Is it going to be that good?" And Wait, yeah, so I you hadn't actually... seen it before this podcast? Well, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The first time that I saw it the first time okay okay yeah there was just so much hype about it you know because i saw it maybe a few weeks after it came out or like a few months after it came out or whatever um and then i ended up seeing it and i was like holy shit man it actually exceeded even my inflated expectations i I think it's a fantastic film it's extremely enjoyable i almost can't even explain why i love it so much and then of course on repeated viewings i think it's it's still holds up it's great i haven't seen the sequel though
0: oh man you got to check it out it's good
2: it's so good can't wait for part three
0: and have you ever had a dog austin
2: Yeah, uh, similar to Greg, I had an amazing dog, and then, you know, as with all love stories. Hey, why do we have to jump to the bad part? (laughs) Because she had a heart attack while I was on Skype Uh, in England with my sister. You guys
0: are making me really regret that I asked this question. We're watching a movie Uh,
2: about, like, a revenge fantasy about a dog that gets killed. We're going to have to go to some dark places, Jerry. Yes.
0: (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. All right. So uh, I saw this movie in theaters, probably opening night. Uh, I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan and I was so happy to see him doing a new action franchise. One of the things I like about Keanu Reeves so much is that the Matrix really did form him as an individual. Like, You know, he became interested in Eastern philosophy and keeping up with his martial arts. And, you know, him and Tom Cruise are one of the few fucking warriors of action cinema. Actually, Jacob was just telling me that the nerd writer just released a video about this, talking about how Tom Cruise, John Wick, these guys basically make Marvel people look like a bunch of models who emote in front of a green screen on cue.
1: <laughs> Marvel sucks. I said it. I said it. I hate those fucking movies. No,
0: those those movies are good. But <laughs> these guys are not hardcore like Keanu Reeves and, no and, way. and Tom Cruise. No, no way. way. Intense. Yeah. Old dudes too.
1: These guys are old, man.
0: I know. Yeah. And they're keeping up with it. Uh, I, I, and I love in the second one, just getting to see the Morpheus Neo reunion. (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, this movie, this is a movie I can just watch, you know, like I can turn my brain off. I can enjoy it. It, never gets old in fact the whole reason we're doing this is because i watched it last week with my girlfriend because she had never seen it i enjoyed it so much <laughs> then we watched the second one and then we had to discuss what movie we're doing for this podcast i was like shit let's just do john wick and then i rewatched it again yesterday God damn! and it was still so good like it didn't <laughs> get old at all like i was just as into it and i think to austin's point i was actually wondering to myself why this is so good and i think there are some really interesting um impressive elements about this movie that I'm very excited to talk about. But before we get into that, let's do a quick recap. So, retired assassin John Wick is mourning the death of his wife when he receives her final gift to him, a puppy. An unexpected run-in with Yosef, the son of a notorious Russian mobster, leads to him invading John's house and killing the dog. But little does Yosef know, they fucked with the wrong guy. Really wrong dude. <laughs> wrong dude. <laughs> <laughs> the puppy's death compels John to leave the retired life behind and seek vengeance against Yosef and anyone that stands in his way. John sets the criminal underworld ablaze searching for Yosef and eventually kills him and his father. Having dismantled the mob... John stumbles into a kennel, adopts a pit bull, and walks off into the city night. <laughs>
2: <That's>
0: <laughs> of, like the movie. shortest
2: recap that you've ever given—that's how simple it is. The dis- shortest recap, but
0: like, yeah, it doesn't. You know, I, I could have mentioned Willem Dafoe's character, which is cool, but not really necessary. You know, it's right, right. a dog that dies, and ass is kicked. You know, a
1: lot of murders. <laughs> yeah, a lot of
0: a lot of murders with a cold efficiency. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just like just like. uh a pistol as a close quarters combat weapon that's like one of the coolest things about this movie i've never seen that before you know it's beautiful it's it's amazing all right guys so the first thing i want to talk about with this movie and i think one of the most impressive elements of the movie is world building i think that this movie it's really interesting how they build this very alive, very dense, very interesting world of the criminal underground without any explicit exposition. Not only does it largely leave out overt exposition, but there's kind of the way that they allow you to kind of fill in the gaps. Like so much of the world building, is just from people saying like, it's been a long time, John, you know, you know, or just like the part where John is like, hello, Francis, you've lost weight. And then he's like over 60 pounds. and He's like impressive. And not only is this super efficient, you know, I mean, just from that from or, or when the cop comes to John's house and he says, hey, John. And uh, John Wick is like, even Jimmy noise complaint, he's like noise complaint. You working again just from their familiarity with each other. We know that this is an underground mob society that has some kind of understanding with the police. Nobody has to explicitly say it yep. just from this very simple, very uh, short interaction. We learn so much. And I think that's kind of the bread and butter for how this movie builds a world, and uh, it's really impressive because nothing is worse than you know just a telethon like totally. them telling the audience this is what the world is like, these are the rules, these are the relationships these characters have.
1: Yeah, I don't need another Batman origin story, do we? You exactly. Know what I mean? Exactly. I just loved it that you were talking about. Um, he's the same director that made Deadpool, and in this movie, they have the hotel. What's it called? The hotel? It's,
0: it's the uh, the Continental.
1: Okay, the Continental. And in the same thing with Deadpool. They have that bar where they just have all these killers and contracted killers. Oh yeah, it's the same thing. I didn't
0: think about that. That and is I interesting. It.
1: I just, I'm, and I'm glad they're doing they're doing a movie now, sort of like that, right? Hotel Artemis or something. Oh, that's coming out pretty I, soon. I
0: have seen trailer, or I've seen like. I've seen sponsored content about it, but I've actually not seen the trailer. Yeah, I think that another thing that's really interesting about this is that I almost think, and actually having seen Solo, I think that there's an interesting kind of play it here where not only is it efficient for them to build a world like this, but I feel like we will always, if if I said like Greg, Mm -hmm. it's been a long time, the audience will always, I feel like they'll project our... Our relationship, totally. uh, you know, in a sense, like whatever's in their mind is going to be better than whatever the writer comes up with. That's a good mm-hmm. point. You know, we never know the exact nature of these relationships. We don't know exactly what uh, John Wick and the cop went through, what John Wick and the guy who collects the bodies went through, what any of these guys. We don't know, but he's always like meeting people and saying these things that, you know, as a writer, it seems like almost lazy and easy to just say like, oh, you know, it's been a long time. But when you couple that with good directing and like really good production design. We just project and, like, it doesn't even matter. And, in fact, it's even better that we don't know the specifics because we fill that in. Yeah,
2: you know? I love that yeah, and It's perfect. Yeah, and it's not Go lazy ahead, writing. Ask. It's an intentional writing tactic, yes. right? It's, like, uh, it, it's something that writers are taught to do is to yes. leave those gaps, to allow for the audience to project, to to play with mystery. So um, when Star Wars came out, the most recent one, or not the not the solo one, but The Last Jedi, when that one right. came out i mean my criticism primarily was or one of them was that it was overly expositional right that it was telling you what people were feeling and what they were thinking and why they were thinking it and how they were thinking it and what they were going to do because they were thinking it and i'm like motherfucker if i wanted to do that i would read academic texts which is what i do all day but when i'm <laughs> when i'm when i'm looking at art when i'm experiencing art i want mystery i want excess i want the sublime is what a lot of times people talk about, which is that sort of intangible beyond that is unrepresentable with words. And it's kind of silly to maybe think that we're talking about the sublime in a fucking movie that's just like this, I'm going to shoot you with a pistol from two feet away. But nevertheless, there is something about us filling in those mysterious gaps that is so much more profound and enjoyable. I love it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right writers are taught to do that, but it's it's a discipline. I think a writer oh, always yeah. wants to, oh, I want to build this world more. I want to uh, inundate this more with my vision. I want to over-explain. And it's like, it, it's like you have to restrain yourself. Sometimes you have to restrain yourself to say less. Mm-hmm. And I think that this movie is a perfect example of that paying off in spades. But Austin, I, I want to hear a little bit more about the sublime, because I feel like maybe this was the term I was looking for, because I'm using the word nostalgia and how... Like the idea of the good old days will always be more effective than telling us anything explicit. But maybe nostalgia is the wrong
2: word. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, I, I guess my problem with nostalgia is that nostalgia seems restrictive because it's based on some sort of past image, right, that you're trying to reproduce, whereas the sublime is something that pulls forward. Let's say, to use a, a, a mm-hmm. sort of spatial metaphor. It's not the perfect spatial metaphor or even or even temporal metaphor, but it's something that is beyond, but it's in our midst. So Jean-Francois Lyotard calls it like the unpresentable. It is that which is unpresentable in language. It is that which doesn't fully exist in the ontological space that we inhabit at a given moment. It is the excessiveness, right? And I think when art is at its best. It's because it's a witness to the unpresentable. It's attesting to that beyond rather than trying to encapsulate the beyond in language, which is, a, which is a control mechanism, right? When you call something a tree, you've sort of killed the tree from being anything other than this set of linguistic structures that you've imposed upon it. Uh, uh, Alexandra Kozhev is a philosopher who talks about that. But the idea of art, when it's most impactful, I think, is when it doesn't just try to enclose things with words or with signs, but rather what it does is it sort of indicates, it points beyond, and then it allows the imagination to play in that space of excess.
0: So would you say, I know that you recently saw 2001 in 70 millimeter. Would you say the ending of 2001 kind of plays in this
2: space? Oh my god, I don't think I've ever seen a film and had a cinematic experience that was as excessive as that I mean first of all the screen was so big that I literally had to turn my head because I was in like the third or fourth row because I wanted the immersive experience but I literally had to turn my head (laughs) at points to like actually capture what was going on on the screen and then beyond that the theater that I was in was like this old fashioned community theater that does like live performances and shit like that so it was it was set up like I don't know like the Pantages or something and they had a live organist that played beforehand and then of course you have just these Sort of cinematic scope of mystery that is unfolding before you that tries to encompass maybe like the totality of human life in the midst of cosmic chaos and infinity and expanse and to me i mean that's that's precisely facing the sublime which can be terrifying um it can be an enjoyable experience but more than anything what it does is it's it's provocative it provokes you to thought and it causes you to to engage
0: so I feel like this movie is maybe somewhere in between the sublime
2: and nostalgia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not two thousand and one or anything like that, but it's right. but but it's still I, I think the reason that it's successful is because it it participates in that excess rather than just simply trying to control everything through familiar symbols or whatever and this is and I know we get a lot of shit from people that feel like we're being too harsh on like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and stuff like that but but maybe a way to to draw like an analogy between this sort of like thing that I'm talking about with the sublime and the success of something like John Wick versus maybe the the lack of success in my opinion at least of some of these Marvel films is that these Marvel films try too much to control through signs like familiar signs right like it's a familiar IP product they want to give you these little easter eggs so that you can like Get that dopamine rush so you can feel like, oh, I know that. I feel that. And all that's doing is it's covering over the sublime rather than opening us up to the potential of the sublime. And that's not to say that there aren't moments of sublimity in those films. Of course there are. But but when you have a greater degree of kind of control within the medium of art, I think you really lose a lot of the potency of of the beauty of the excessiveness of the sublime that is really what an artistic expression um, is ought to be about. A lot of nerd culture is obsessed with lore. Yeah. Like, and I don't even know if I'm getting the
0: the definition for lore right, but people want to know the backstory. Like, when I think of something like Game of Thrones, I haven't read the books. I'm semi-familiar with the show, but that's all about lore. People want to know the history, the details of the Lannisters, and I don't think that's a show that attempts to function at the level of the sublime. That's all about, you know, you getting lost in a very detailed world. Totally explicitly detailed
1: well that's what i love about john wick is that i mean i think it is i don't think it's a very detailed world i don't i think Mm -hmm. it's uh i think it's very cut and dry i think it's old school i mean just look at the name john wick it's a dude's name (laughs) uh it's like it's set in gotham uh it's an old guy driving an old car uh, his wife died he bought a dog I mean he, his wife left him a dog the dog died well they killed a the dog and he goes crazy and murders everybody it's, <laughs> it's a movie that you can watch with your dad you can watch with your granddad he'll understand it it's uh it's it's great and um the success of it is just that it's it's simple it's a simple mm. theme and it's dark uh it's kind of perfect I wish I, I, like like Austin said I wish other directors would uh would pick up this theme of it and just make something because I think everything's so convoluted and just so big right now that if you make something just a straight line that people can understand and get and just have some variations within it. But see, I movie. would
0: I would say that what's impressive is that the movie, it, it's presented very simply, yeah. but once again, like if I were to try to explain to you what the world of John Wick is and the rules of this Russian mafia, like it would take time, yeah. you know, because there seems to be a lot of nuance there.
1: I love that Theon is the dude, dude too. That guy is so hateable he's that's he's a great actor though oh yeah yeah Yeah. for sure but yeah totally i mean watching this watching john wick and being a big fan of game of thrones i was like yeah cut his balls off you know (laughs) 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 he deserves it yeah what he did to that dog you know
0: yeah and that's another thing um and not to give all the credit to the writers here but uh, same thing with all the actors uh the guy who plays Theon's dad, the main mm-hmm. mob guy, is great. Yep. Uh, and then mm-hmm. Theon, whatever his real name is, is who. amazing. He's so hateable. He's such a scumbag. He's, uh, he's such a wormy like every, little fucker. He's such yeah. a wormy little, you know, like nepotist shitbag.
2: The little you know? goatee too, you know? Yeah. There's, it's, it's unfortunate there, there are certain humans that, like, you just look at them and you're like, oh, yeah, I want to punch that person just by looking so... at them. And he's totally <laughs> one of those dudes, man. <laughs>
0: And even when he's running from John Wick at the bathhouse, he's got like a girl that he's using as like a human shield. shield. Yeah, like everything about pussy. him just sucks. It's the yeah, worst. he's the fucking yeah. worst.
1: But uh, I do like the contrast of uh, of like everybody, like the policemen, everybody treating John Wick so nice. Yeah, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, John, it's good." To, you know, everybody's like kind of scared of him, but they kind of like him too. Uh, yeah. And then how the mobsters are well, you know, uh, Theon's character and his crew treat him like shit. But then the guys higher than him are like, oh, don't fuck with that guy. So it just plays more into, like, you fucked with the wrong dude. Fucked with the wrong dude. And how badass this guy is without saying how badass he is.
0: Mm. It, more to the idea, like I, I another thing I really love about this world, which I think is something—it's a, a classic disparity between the brutality of mob life, mob life, and the civility and the classiness of the way that business is done, especially at the Continental. Like they all dress mm-hmm. so slick, slick. they're Smooth. slick. They have a strict adherence to these rules, you know. And, and once and again, the rules are never explicitly explained. Yeah. We just know yeah. that you know Keanu Reeves says something like "Give up your son," and now we understand that there's probably some some idea of. Of of trade that goes on with these things, or in the second one they they do a lot of this too, where there's like the book that you have to like like put your thumbprint on after like a debt has been paid and stuff like that. And then in the Continental, you can't do business on grounds.
2: Well, they have it's, their own currency too, right? Awesome. Those little coins. They have
0: their own currency, and, and once again, it's never explained exactly what it's worth. And, and I love the thing; it's like John will say like table or reservation for twelve. And it's never explained that, oh, reservation for 12 means that I have 12 bodies that I need to get rid of. But we just we see it happen, you know, Mm. and it's so it's it's quick and engaging and just very graceful.
2: Well, one of the things I think and Greg was just saying something that reminded me of this a minute ago. It really reminds me of like ancient Greek mythology in that the stories are very simple, but they're also like really batshit crazy and petty. Right? Like you yeah. get these gods that like I don't know, like they they get offended because of the most minor thing and then they're like, Well, fuck this. I'm gonna start a war because of it. That's what the Trojan War was, right? And it's like and it's usually about like a chick, like one of the gods is like upset because his chick isn't doing what he wants or his chick wants to bang somebody else or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. And so he's That's like, true. Fuck <laughs> this. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start war on earth because of this, you know? And so it, it's like this weird simple mythology at the surface level. There's, like, these simple archetypes and these simple figureheads. You've got, like, the bad guy mobster and the douchebag son and the, uh, the the boogeyman or the guy that kills the boogeyman killer guy. And you've got all these mysterious things about them. But then the more you kind of engage with it at that mysterious level, the more complex it gets. And the more you're kind of like, oh, this is a fucking cool mythological world. And I think maybe that's why it's, it's like a weird myth but it's not a morality tale like it's not spoon feeding some sort of bullshit morality like god i'm such an asshole but like the last jedi which is like here's this (laughs) morality tale that i'm trying to spoon feed to you this is much more like no there is no morality right this is just simply a story a myth and a world and it's about play and excess and have fun Well, I don't know. I think, I mean,
1: I feel like there is morality in this because he is very conflicted. You know, he knew what he was doing was not a good thing. That's why he got out of the biz, you know, to try to be a loving husband. Then, like, shit happens. His wife dies. Then they kill his dog. And then you see him actually going back to the depths of hell when he grabs his guns again. He has to, like, fucking uh bulldoze himself to get his uh bulldo he he fucking cemented his guns over it
0: it's the life he buried you know now he has to un. he has to unearth it yeah yeah
1: he knew what he was doing was was fucked up but you know they just took him there and he Mm. tried you know he tried so hard you know
2: yeah yeah Yeah. maybe that's a good point maybe the morality is uh the morality is don't fuck with the man's dog don't fuck with the man's dog yeah (laughs) (laughs)
1: All
0: right. So I want to talk about we were talking about, you know, don't mess with a man's dog. And I kind of feel like this movie fits into some weird like revenge. Like, you know how the, in the in the 80s or in, the, in 1980, they had I spit on your grave, kind of the, the what became the prototypical rape revenge movie, okay. you know, and in a rape revenge movie. So there's like I spit on your grave, irreversible death wish and to an extent, girl with a dragon tattoo. And usually in the first act, a woman is, like, brutalized or raped, and the rest of the movie is exacting revenge. This movie is – it's almost like a reve- – like Austin said earlier, it's a revenge fantasy for dog owners.
2: Yeah. And well, there's uh, a new movie that's out in theaters right now that's getting mad love called Revenge, right? That's a sort of uh, – it's supposed oh, to be I've like a feminist – a retelling of the um the rape revenge fantasy story like like I spit on your grave except it's written and directed by a woman so I think it's called Revenge, um but it's out in theaters right now so
0: and then with what uh, Tarantino has done with uh some of his previous movies and Glorious Bastards I've heard people call it Jewish revenge fantasy oh, totally, and then totally. with Django yeah. like slave revenge fantasy mm-hmm. and you know it might seem like there's a sense I don't know like you would think. That there might be a sense of incongruity between a puppy and the insane vengeance that he wreaks, killing like literally hundreds of people. But to me, someone who's obsessed with dogs, and I think that you know, in our society in general, people are very connected to their dogs. We see a lot more dog parents these days than dog owners. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Do you think that there's a sense when people like I'm a like I'm a dog parent, but I'm definitely self aware about it. I think most. Dog parents are—they're aware of how weird it is. No,
1: I mean I don't think it's weird. I just think you—you you know it's a dog. You know, people that have dogs live longer. I mean, that's yeah. When, when study. But,
0: but when you're like feeding your dog like rotisserie chicken, like you know it's ridiculous. I do, I don't do that, but some people do. <laughs>
1: hey, dog gotta eat. <laughs> you know, it's like no, I, I know. I, I, don't, I don't think it's I don't think it's that weird. I, you know, people give people shit for for loving their dogs, but hey, you know, I, some okay, some of it is when I see uh, dogs in like a baby carriage. Like, you know, <laughs> that, that's a little much. Let the dog walk on the What about paws, the dogs but, uh, in the purse? Because that?
2: we know how common that shit is in L.A. Like the little chihuahuas ah. or, you know.
1: Well, I, I mean, look, man. If the the <laughs> dog is so small they can fit in the purse, keep the dog in the purse. I don't I don't want a hawk coming down, <laughs> grabbing that dog and flying <laughs> off in the tree. So that's that. a good point. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a good point. It's for the <laughs> dog's lady, own well-being. You know, well-being. Girls, girl, Girls like that shit. You know, they're cute. Like you know what, dude?
2: Yeah. I don't know if uh, if anyone out there is on Tinder and shit like that, but I will say this. As someone who has dabbled in the Tinder game uh, a bit over the years, the frequency with which you will see a girl's bio that says, like, I'm only on here looking for a dog owner or if you have a dog, I'm yours or I just want to go on a dog play date. There is something pretty amazing about how much, like, dogs create community, whether it's, like, a romantic or intimate thing or otherwise. Like, Jared, you've got a new friend from NPR because you it's a dog poop partnership. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I was well, every morning
0: for the last year. I've uh, been I've t- had just chit chat with this woman who walks her dogs and our dogs do their morning poop together. And I just found out that she's she like hosts a very famous NPR podcast. Oh. So I'm just like, wow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, dogs like there's something about the fact that there is. Not a sense of incongruity ab- about the revenge that he wreaks. Dogs, like I mean, they make me speak in like tongues, basically. You know, like when I mean, <laughs> you, Austin, as a as a recovered uh, evangelical, you understand that like something that can move you to speak in tongues or move you to say nonsensical things it is kind of like a religious experience and when i look at my dog's face man it moves me to say ridiculous things you know what i'm talking about puppy <laughs> I, can talk you, can course. you give us
2: an example of your puppy talk
0: <laughs> yeah i'll just say oh you could your baby face muffin man you know stuff like that <laughs> yeah,
2: baby yeah. face muffin man oh, oh he's
0: got it. he's got all sorts of names that's a good
1: looking dog oh he's he's spiteful though i just saw woody <laughs> jump at another dog real fast
0: but uh, 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 but you know they yeah, he stole his toy, man.
1: ah, and just like the pair, you take it up for him <laughs> that's right he is, yeah, he exactly. Is. no that's no the other love. kid's an asshole. The other kid was the asshole he deserved
0: it. No, no, Larry, Larry is a good man, he's a good dog,
1: and that's why this movie's so good because it's compounded. I mean, like you know his his wife that died gave him this dog, yeah, you know, that's the last gift she gave him,
2: and she's gone, and then you take, you know. Well, what I was going to say, do you think you it would be ridiculous dog. if there wasn't that transference, though? Like if it was just this dog that had no direct connection to his wife that had just passed, would that would that make this film more ludicrous? Or do you think that like like because there seems to be like that compounded thing that you just said, Greg, makes it even more intense. But would it just be insane if it was just a dog revenge film?
1: I think so. I think it would. I mean, I I could still understand it. But I think it would be like, all right, all right, you killing a hundred people. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, I I, c- I can still understand it though, because a dog is like family. But you know,
0: I feel like if you ask most people what is John Wick about, they probably don't even think about the wife element. Yeah. They just they just say That's a true. guy, a dog, or someone kills the man's dog, he goes ape shit. You know. Also, like John Wick has become like a meme. I, I, I saw this video on Facebook earlier and it was like ways to kill Thanos from the Avengers. And one of them, it was like a top five ways that you could have killed Thanos. And one of them was the funniest one was Thanos does the snap and half the people dies. And it just cuts to John Wick holding his dog and the dog disappears. and then And then it just ends. And we just assume that if you fuck with this man's dog, it's, it's over. over for you it's no matter if you're Thanos man. or whoever the fuck you are.
2: So what triggers him in the second film? Is his new dog, the Pitbull? Oh, killed? so
0: in the second film, in the second film, more to this point of amazing world building, this guy just shows up at his house and he takes out this medallion and he opens up the medallion and on the medallion, there it's cut in half. On one side of the medallion, there is a, a thumbprint that's been put there in blood. And basically the guy says, I've come to collect... Your promise. So basically, like through similar methods that I've been talking about, how they use vagaries to still kind of create this very dense and interesting mythology. Basically, the guy says he shows them what I believe is called a marker, and he says, "You know, this is a blood oath, and you have to get back into the game for me because I'm coming to collect the favor that you ask of me." It's kind of like them. It's like The Godfather. It's yeah. like one day I will come and. I don't know, my, the accent just got real weird there. Was that, was that <laughs> Russian? I, wa- <laughs> I don't
1: know. Well,
0: it's because I'm thinking about John Wick and the Godfather. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting the way that they pull him back in. But, uh, no, I mean, the last shot of the second one is a similar shot to the end of the first one is him uh, running, running into the night with a dog by his side.
2: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, I got to see it. Oh, you got to see it. It's so good.
1: Keanu um have you guys seen what's the other movie that Keanu plays where he's like an angel well I mean, he's not a, he's fighting
2: demons uh oh, Constantine I heard Constantine Oh, it's, it's, oh it's, that oh, one
1: that oh, one's oh, good It's oh, it's a great movie Yeah uh, the one where he, like has to go it
2: he has to like go to hell and shit Yeah yeah totally. yeah yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: my dad who's a preacher loves that movie um but it's almost like he plays these same I don't want to say same type of character, but they're it's the same theme of character. They they dress alike. They're all like in suits or like in dark clothing. Uh, they're all dark personalities, and they have to fight for a cause that they don't really want to or have to get talked into fighting for again. Yeah, you know? yeah,
2: yeah. And I dig it. There's like a. Um there's like a simplicity to Keanu that oftentimes gets made fun of. But I think that actually works with exactly those types of characters that you're talking about because, and and I don't mean this in a mean way, but there's like, it's almost like he's an empty vessel that you can just fill with all of these various things. So like the suit and the dark worlds are like the vessel and then like the motivation, it it can kind of just adapt anywhere because he's not too loaded with baggage. If that makes sense. Does oh, that make yeah, sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah so. I actually
0: wanted to talk about this. My next talking point was about this idea of kind of cult of personality. I think there are certain movies that uh, are, are certain actors that almost exist in like a subgenre of their own that really operate more on a cult of personality level rather than actual and like acting prowess. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger. A Schwarzenegger movie is its own subgenre. Schwarzenegger has a certain list of qualities that makes him Schwarzenegger, when we say that Schwarzenegger is a good or bad actor, I mean, I would say that, I mean, I don't know. It depends on what you consider an actor or a good actor. Jason but Statham? Schwarzenegger, Jason Statham is another one. Like, they play mostly the same character, but, right. I mean, it works. They crush you know? that character? They, they crush Ar- it,
1: Arnold's yeah. Arnold's good. Arnold's good. I mean, ter- Terminator? Uh, yeah. Terminator Part 1 in the 80s scared the shit out of you, man. That movie's yeah. great. Seriously, Twins?
2: Fucking Twins was th- awesome, th- too. Tomorrow, oh,
1: <laughs> no man. I mean,
0: Schwarzenegger hasn't had an amazing run in the '90s Conan. and even in the early 2000s. See, those are the early shit that yeah, you're talking Conan about. But Barbarian? like, but uh, last action uh, true, hero, last total action true, Lies, true Lies, was great, true, true Lies, Lies. Uh, I really like. Uh, what was the hell movie he was in? where he like fights demons and shit. I think that one's underrated. I think the Sixth Man is underrated. Uh, pe- critics hated that one.
1: Mister Freeze.
0: <laughs> oh well. That, see that that that's when that's when you take Arnold out of his elements <laughs> and dick. everything. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but so this idea of cult personality. I also want to tie this into. Do you guys, when you guys watched this movie for the first time, did you laugh? A little bit. You, you mean at like the like how ludicrous it was? Well, I guess I wanted to leave that open. Like. Well, so you said a little bit, Greg. I laughed Greg. at Theon.
1: What? I laughed at the character that played Theon, especially when he was at the that bar and he was running from him uh, and the girl, he was putting the girl. I just laughed at how much was like a, of a pussycat he was and how they played it up and how they uh, fucked with him at the gas station, how they fucked with Keanu at the gas station in the mm-hmm. beginning.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what about the parts where, I mean, you're just seeing Keanu Reeves mow down hundreds of motherfuckers, <laughs> like literally just like the most efficient shots to the head possible. Like, does it... At some point you're just like oh my god this is insane and like it kind of brings yeah. you out of it a little bit and you laugh like d- d-
2: yeah it's, it's like that yeah. ki- it's not like uh like when Greg does stand up I'm going to laugh kind of like no. because he's said something that was ironic or humorous or whatever the fuck it's not like that kind of laugh it's more like a holy fucked what am I watching yeah. like yeah jesus <laughs> this is insane it's over the top it's like the excess is so big that you're like this doesn't fit within the codes of normal life and I have to laugh
0: There's even, like, the part—I mean, there are, like, gags in the the action. There's a part in this movie—it happens again in the second one—but there's a part where, like, he shoots a guy in the stomach and then has to reload. And then the guy's, like, squirming and, like, dying. And and, and, he—and, yeah, and Keanu Times takes the time to reload and then shoots him in the head and moves on. Yeah. You know? Like, exactly. Greg is laughing. Like, it's it's funny.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, well, what about the bit when he gets thrown off the balcony— and he doesn't die or break his spine or anything. He just yeah. kind of like gets up, and you're kind of like, all right, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, for some reason, it doesn't, it, it doesn't take me out of it. For some reason, it works, and I think this goes to, again, and I know we keep saying it, and it's really interesting. We didn't coordinate this before we started recording, but this idea of building a world is exactly what I was thinking. Like when a film is successful, you just buy into it no matter how – Over the top, it is maybe if you took it out of that context, somehow the context fits together so well that there's a harmony that even those like extreme musical notes to use like a musical metaphor, they they seem to fit within the overall melody of what's going on. And so, yeah, he can be thrown off a fucking balcony and he gets up and you're kind of like, okay, that's cool. He's just a badass. He's the boogeyman killer.
0: Baba Yaga. Yeah, but so – taking this idea of it being funny and almost having elements of a dark comedy to it once again i think that his killing style is so cold and efficient and even like when he kills yosef he doesn't even let him finish a fucking sentence it's just walk up shoot him in the head walk away and then plus it being keanu reeves and and i wanted to know do you guys think what would this movie be like if it wasn't keanu reeves like if it was a guy who looks more like like Jean-Claude Van Damme in his prime. A guy who looks like a grizzled, swole badass. I think it would be missing kind of a subtle level of irony that makes this extra awesome. Right? Like, Like, is it just that this movie... I do think that there is a kind of ironic distance at play here. Because it's not only that John Wick is a badass... But that Keanu Reeves is playing John Wick, who is a badass.
1: Am I? I I mean, am I just? No, no, no. I I think you got something. I mean, I don't think this movie would be the same if there wasn't a Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You know, like (laughs) to to see you have to see Keanu play like this kind of surfery, Point Break type of character to appreciate his character in John Wick. You have to see him kind of being soft Mm. and tender and goofy and see his metamorphosis in The Matrix to understand this character. And that's I feel like that's how they played it up. And with the title of John Wick, it's almost like...
2: Keanu Reeves,
1: you know what I mean? This is the, yeah, yeah. Mm. and yeah, yeah,
2: because because we are projecting the meme of Keanu Reeves like sitting on a bench alone in New York uh, into Keanu. his character, <laughs> yes, right? Like we're projecting that into it. Like I, I mean, you guys are from L.A. I'm sure you've heard, or you're in L.A. I'm sure you've heard stories like about Keanu uh, in his personal life. I used to work with a guy that used to tell me stories. Um, his wife is a writer on uh, CSI, and so they used to go to parties, and he would be like, "Oh, I've met Keanu Keanu and he would tell me these stories about him and I was like this dude just sounds like a cool fucking dude which all just beefs out the myth kind of like Bill Murray right like you hear these stories about Bill Murray crashing bachelor parties and uh, going behind a bar and a nightclub and People like ordering anything and he's like just giving him shots of tequila no matter what they order. And you're like that just adds to the myth of Bill Murray. So now whenever I watch a movie, you know, Zombieland, for example, and he has a cameo, you're like, oh, there's the guy that crashes bachelor parties and lives in fucking obscure Tennessee or North Carolina or South Carolina or wherever it is. I think it's Charleston and, uh, and stuff like that. So I think you get something similar with, with Keanu in this. And that's absolutely right, Greg. We're watching not just John Wick. We're watching Keanu Reeves. totally think about have you guys seen
0: uh have you guys seen taken
2: yes so
0: you know that there's the famous uh speech when uh liam neeson is talking into the phone he says i have a bunch of skills that i have accumulated (laughs) over a very long career Mm -hmm. and i will come with you like once again that is all the more badass because it's fucking Schindler's List, dude, talking into the fucking phone <laughs> like he's gonna go apeshit. You know, right. it's, uh, and I think that th- something is working on that same level with Keanu Reeves. I've mm. never
1: put that together, Schindler's List. Uh, you know, I never.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, also like the part. I, th- I think what so do you guys remember the part where? And this happens again in the second one, and it's even funnier in the second one. But in the first one. Uh, it's during, he says, John, and this is like the the parallel scene to the Taken scene. He's like, when Vigo, the head mob guy, says, John is a man of focus, commitment, sheer will. <laughs> I once saw him kill three men in a bar with a pencil, a fucking pencil. Like that's over the top badass. Like there is, a, and then when we see Keanu Reeves, like Keanu Reeves killing three dudes with a pencil, <laughs> that 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 means something different than you know, mm. uh someone who looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme so. or Arnold Schwarzenegger
2: killing three dudes with a pencil. Mm. There's something yeah. different there. Well, so there's something um as as over the top and mythological as this film is, there's also something like really like material about this film. And and what I'm it's hard for me to describe it, but I'm thinking like Like the action sequences, they're not slick and clean and perfect like they were in The Matrix, right? Like we just watched The Matrix and they're all really fluid and they're style – like over-stylized and there's a beauty to them. It's a dance whereas this is like – if if the Matrix is ballet, this is like contemporary dance, right? It's a yes. little bit messier. It's a little grittier. Uh, he 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 like belabors a little bit. He's not like perfectly smooth in his movements, and and I like that as someone who's studied martial arts since I was a kid. Um, and and I think there are certain films that I like the dirtiness of their fight scenes, and like there's a there's a film that probably nobody saw, but it's called Haywire that stars Gina Carano. By oh, Steven I saw it. Soderberg. Yeah, Yeah, you know that was uh,
0: she did like MMA fighting in it, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. And her fight scenes are in that film are so much cooler than the majority of like. And I like the Jason Bourne films too, but they're so much cooler than so much of like Jason Bourne choreography um, or uh, you know even a film like uh, like Jet Li's films or Jackie Chan's films, which are much more dances. You know, they're they're physical expressions, and these. Like John Wick and Haywire and even a film like Ong Bak, I feel like, are much more, they're just more visceral and material in their fight scenes. And I think that kind of fits into this whole thing, too. You know, it's much more settled. I just want to make sure you're not throwing shade at my boy Jackie Chan, are you? No, no, I love me some Jackie Chan. It's just that Jackie Chan is a fan of um, Buster Keaton. Yeah, he's
0: like, like, yeah, he's Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin. But I think that's like, I mean, he is auteur on the highest level.
2: Oh, sure. Sure. But it's just different. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's ballet sure. as opposed to this is more contemporary. Yeah. So I don't want to I don't yeah. wanna, I'm not shitting on those things. It's just different.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, yeah, there is a cold efficiency to the brutality. And man, I and also that juxtaposition we were talking about earlier, the brutality of the action scenes with the classiness of the continental. I think it adds to the comedy in a sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the other part I was talking about that I think also adds to this idea of it being a comedy is when when the head mob guy calls John Leguizamo and he says, "Uh, you hit my son. He's like, yes, sir, I did. He's like, can I ask why? And he said, well, yes, because he stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. And then the guy just goes, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dog. And then that happens again in the second one where there's just like a, well, it's John Wick who's coming for us. Oh, and then the conversation just ends. (laughs) Like, there is a self-awareness here that I think is really special and makes it just all the more fun to watch.
1: Just builds him up without building him up, you know? You don't have to. He just walks around with uh, a king card on his forehead, and everybody just treats him like a king, you know? Right. I like the part also about how, I guess what kind of makes him more soft, too, is the girl trying to get at him the uh the whole movie uh the girl at the the oh perkins yeah 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 how she's just trying like you know she's just in love with him and he's just like i can't even think about you right now she's in love with him now she wants to kill him uh i mean she wants to kill him but i think she has a thing for him too though you know you don't feel that you didn't you didn't see that
0: i felt like she was definitely a seductress character uh but that character another really cool thing I, for some reason, I found it very gratifying just the way that she dies in the end when, like, the, the, the people of the Continental, they kill her because she broke the rules. Yeah, yeah. And once again, like, just awesome world building. We see how the, 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 the world works without them having to tell us that if you break the wor- rules, you'll be killed. We just see it
2: happen.
1: You didn't think she was into him though? Nobody? You just thought that was just her game? Her, her game I
2: did. I saw there was definitely some flirtation in that look. Yeah, but but to me, I saw it more as like what
0: we were talking about earlier, and that there's a history. Yeah, you know, like maybe they had a had fling. A thing back in the day, Another yeah. thing was like with the bartender. He he, ta- when she's like, "Oh, Jonathan," I also like how everyone calls him Jonathan. Yeah, you <laughs> know, because they know him so well. It's you know, the movie's called John Wick, but all of these mobsters they know him as Jonathan because they've mm. they've just been with him for so long. Yeah. So I I wanted to talk uh, end this conversation about the comedy, just asking. Austin, especially with this Bo Burnham uh, script, this video that's coming out at the end of the month that Austin also worked on, we talk about how we kind of have to have a kind of critical distance in order to be authentic in a way. And I'm wondering, like, can there be a, a hero that is just, just badass? Like, can we, can we, or do we need this distance to really appreciate how badass a character is? Like, could this be a, could this have been completely straight faced and we would still believe that John Wick is such an awesome character or such a, a badass more
2: than awesome character. You mean in light of the fact that his dog was killed or just in general? I think just in general. Well what about like the Born the Born films? Is he just a badass?
0: Not on the same level that John Wick is. I think that, that's kind of my point. Like is Born a badass? Yes. Is he a meme though? Is he like a uh kind of a cultural icon for badassery like John Wick is? No. And I think a lot of it has to do with that slight sense of comedy in there.
1: No, mm. I mean uh well, I don't want I think born the reason Bourne doesn't equal John Wick is like Bourne was trained by the government, you know what I mean? And and Wick is like a mob dude, you know what I mean? Mm. It's a it's a difference.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's interesting. I don't know. I'd have to think about that a little bit more. What do you think, Jared? I mean, I feel like uh... I'm trying to think
0: of other examples of somebody who's super. I mean, I guess like the Bill Murray thing you brought up is perfect, but I'm trying to think of someone who's like in the context of action movies or or being like a, a violent badass.
2: What about, like, Sly? Would he, like, the the 90s Sly, like, with the cliffhanger era. Yeah. No, see, I think that that was more authentic.
0: But have you seen the the newest Rambo movie? I think it was just called John Rambo or just Rambo. I didn't see it. You know, have you seen the first RoboCop? Yes. Yes. That was a good example of like there being dark comedy, just in the over the top brutality of the violence. And they play with that in the new Rambo movie more so than they had in previous ones. And it does kind of take you out of it because we don't just see Rambo go on a killing spree. I mean, we see heads explode, you know, him like like, you know, Tarantino style almost.
2: Right. Well, what about like martial arts films where you get someone like Jean-Claude Van Damme or um, or even like internationally a film like Ong Bak. Or uh, various other types of films where it's like either a revenge martial arts film or like um, the raid, you know, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't
0: think I, I don't think that there's any comedy in the raid. But I think maybe another good example would be John Cena. I mean, he's okay. a meme, but he's also a wrestler. He's fucking swole.
2: He's a badass. It's
1: those shorts. <laughs> <laughs> those shorts just make him look funny.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Is that, there? That's interesting. I mean, I. I tend to think that that we're we're afraid of authenticity and we're afraid of being too connected. And so maybe the reason that you have to have that humor and that irony is because it gets too real, so to speak, right? Like it gets too much. And anytime you're too violent, too badass, too whatever – there has to be a break where you kind of detach for a second. So maybe that's where the humor comes in because we're uncomfortable with the, like, excessiveness of violence or we're uncomfortable with something. And and so even though the writers weren't writing, like, this purely authentic thing, even in the execution of the script, they had to distance themselves by throwing in these sort of over-the-top elements or that in the direction had to throw in these things because it's just too much to just be fully immersed in quote unquote badassery maybe I don't know I'm just bullshitting right now
0: I think that's kind of what I was going for and I don't know if that's necessarily something that applies to everything but I it it did strike me when watching this movie that like it's not only cool what Keanu Reeves is doing but that he is doing it
2: Mm. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Plus, it is interesting. I mean, it'd be really interesting to kind of delve into this more, this idea that it's like meme. Like, in what way does the meme then go back into the script? So, like, you were talking about yeah. Schindler's List in relation to Taken. I just watched the movie The Grey the other day, and I was thinking about Taken in the context of The Grey. You know, I'm watching Liam Neeson, but I'm not just thinking of Liam Neeson as the character in The Grey. I'm also thinking of him as the character from Taken, you know? So, it's weird how we kind of... I don't know amalgamate all of these various different things like fuck man you watch American Made the new Tom Cruise film how can you not see him as you know the guy from Mission Impossible or fucking from Top Gun or Days of Thunder or whatever right like all of those things are compressed and the studios
1: have to think about this when they're doing this you know I'm sure they think about it.
0: Yeah, I think that these days, with just the internet and memes in general, I think that perhaps it's going to be harder for actors to to break out of these these roles. Like, I think another good example is when I saw Black Panther and uh, Daniel Kaluuya's in it. Like, I I was mm. just thinking about Get Out the whole time. Yeah. Like, like yeah. the idea of him dressed up in African garb, I was like, Nope, not buying it, man. That is the <laughs> dude, that is Chris
2: Washington from Get Out, you know. But but no, I mean you get you get actors like uh, like Meryl Streep. Everyone is like, Oh my god, she can morph into anything. And I feel like there are certain actors that are able to transcend the memification of them, you know, and, and I can I can watch a Meryl Streep film and I can see her in the momentary role that she's in without the intertextual kind of relations, whereas some actors I can't Keanu Reeves. I can't. I view him as yeah. Bill or Ted. I'm sorry. You know? Right.
0: But I think that he's he or somebody or his agent oh. has has turned that to his advantage. Sure. You sure, know, sure. it's part of it's part of his spiel, and, and it's awesome, because this movie fucking, fucking rocks.
2: Yeah. Hell yeah.
0: All right. So I believe Austin has some uh, questions picked out from the mailbag. Yes,
2: sir. Okay. Uh, first one is, well, we'll start, we'll go back a little further. We'll go with, uh, it's a Deadpool question. So from Todd. Todd writes, the conversation at about 25 minutes, 30 seconds about the subversion of tropes is spot on. The new aesthetic is the subversion of tropes, so the most subversive action right now is to embrace the tropes. The post-postmodernist take is to see what still rings true after we've made everything false. What transcends the cynicism of post-postmodern thinking?
0: Well, wait, but isn't, isn't the, the, post-post, the post-postmodern thinking is not cynical. It's the postmodern thinking that's cynical,
2: right? Okay, maybe, yeah. So what would transcend <laughs> postmodern thinking?
0: So that would be – I think that what I was talking about in the Deadpool episode, if Deadpool were to kind of call out his own shtick about how, yeah, we constantly break the fourth wall and disillusion you and uh, undercut any seriousness, I think that if he criticized himself in that way, that would be almost idealistic in a way. It would point to idealism because he's saying – because at least he's pointing out that, hey, we can be better or these things can be better. So I do think that post-postmodernism is – a form of idealism.
1: Trolls mm. trolling themselves, right?
0: Right. Because if you're if you're if a troll is trolling themselves, then they are at least indicating that they know
2: what they're, they're doing yeah. is
0: not good. Exactly.
2: Right. Mm. Okay. And then real quick, his other question was also why no discussion of the team assembly and disassembly of the X Force. That was the most hilarious and subversive part of the movie in my honest opinion. It was we, we just there was so much to talk about. We just we just didn't get to it, I think.
0: Yeah, I, I but... like that part where they all die real fast. Right. I I, I guess I just in my, in, in my head, I was like, as soon as the first one died, I'm like, OK, <laughs> they're, they're going to go all out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I wasn't really ca- as caught off guard. Having said that, I also saw the movie at like 830 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> with like an empty theater. So, uh, you know, it, it wasn't the most communal laughing experience. What about you, Greg? Did you like that part?
1: I love that part, you know, but I just thought it was hilarious uh, that the black girl that doesn't have any power. Other than luck. (laughs) Other than luck, which is the (laughs) shittiest thing ever. Uh, It's funny that after we talked about it on the podcast, I had like a long conversation uh, with another guy that loved Deadpool. And he was like, they didn't go racial on that part. And I was like, yeah, they wanted to. But then the studio's like, nah, we can't do that. I mean, just think about how fucking Deadpool punches everybody and they just left this circle of a hole there you know they didn't go there at all i was just like yeah they had to get talked to about it probably
0: see i <laughs> you're 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 you have a you're more positive than i am i i think that probably no one in the writer's room even dared go there you oh know? come on i think everyone in hollywood is too scared to do
1: that shit man like they all know what's at stake well I'm behind, at least behind the scenes somebody was talking can we go hey man let's go to Chris's house have some beers and let's just rail on this part that we wanted to talk shit about because I mean because it's just me being in this me watching the movie and I'm just like hold on, on this this girl with no power and they're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna say shit about this and then they're just gonna let okay All right. I mean, you know, as a black dude, I'm watching this as a very cynical black dude. I'm watching this like this is like I think this is worse. This is worse than racism because you're so scared to go against it. Oh, but we can talk about this. No,
0: we talked about that uh, for our Get Out podcast. You know, like, uh, in fact, I don't. Did you ever listen to that podcast? This is a whole separate conversation. (laughs) But like somebody was like, you know, oh, because it was me, Ryan and Austin and people were like, Oh, three white guys talking about get out—that ain't cool. And I and I was like, okay, but like if I called up Greg or some other black guy and was like, hey man, we need a black guy to protect ourselves from criticism. Exactly.
2: that's fucking racist. Exactly. Yeah, no,
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway,
2: okay. see the yeah. I, kind of <laughs> totally not subtly getting back to a different topic here. Um, no, no, I I didn't love the X Force thing. Like I, yeah. like I kind of thought it was. Again, too try hard, you know. Like, I mean, okay. I think it just lasted too long. It was like each each person died in their own unique way, and I was sitting there, kind of like, just in terms of like time. I was like, Jesus, this death of each individual person is taking like seven minutes of time, and I'm kind of like, I get it. Like, I get it. Okay. I don't know. It just didn't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a fucking sour faced. Hater, but I just didn't love it. And I think it's because at that point of the movie, I had already kind of checked out a little bit in terms of like my excitement, you know? And that sometimes happens.
1: I think the writing got corny around that part. You know, that's the part when he was like, I'm entering from the back. You know, the whole.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. You
1: know, it got got corny
0: around that. I mean, you know, Deadpool over the last couple of years, I mean, uh, YouTube has been like the Deadpool fan club. Everyone just loves it. And the excitement is. I just think pretty low. Like like just Deadpool 2 has not spurned any lasting conversation and it's certainly not because Solo has retaken the conversation. The movie's doing great at the box office, but you know it's not the 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 uh, the cultural conversation starter or fanboy igniter that the first one was.
1: Yeah. Mm. It's hard to be the troll forever.
0: Yeah, you know. Are right, you got another one, Austin?
2: Yeah, so Well, I guess this one we kind of talked about. It's about Domino in Deadpool. Um, But it is from Jeffrey. Uh, blah 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 blah, thanks for everything you do, I was listening to your Deadpool 2 podcast and your thoughts on Domino and thought that there was something important, and I thought that there was something important to point out. When I was watching what she did in the movie, it felt as though I had seen this before. To me, she portrayed the quote unquote luck that action movie protagonists all have. When I watch James Bond, Die Hard, etc., they all have such luck, but it's portrayed as skill within the movie. They'll always have debris from a destroyed building fall all around them or a car lands in such a way that they can use it as a ramp to continue chasing the bad guy. It seemed like they were poking fun at these action movies because Domino never mentioned that she has a proficiency for fighting, only that she's lucky, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it goes on. So what do you think? Um, basically, would love to know more of your thoughts on her being a meta character for action movie characters as such. Cheers. Yep. Yeah.
0: I like that thought. I don't really, I mean, that that thought never entered my mind when I was watching the movie. And I think that actually would have been interesting if they leaned into that a little bit more. But, uh, I mean, I think his point is interesting. And I think that the movie would have benefited from that idea. But I just didn't really see it there. Not Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah.
1: Not at all. I mean, when Austin was reading the question, uh, I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. You know, people do, you know, uh, the... Daniel, uh, he was yeah. Card lands here, he jumps on that. If oh, uh, a door comes off, he turns into like a skateboard, you know, stuff like that. But yeah, she just <laughs> said luck, right?
0: Because <laughs> how do you make fun of that other than just doing it? Yeah, you know, yeah. like that. That that's hard to really lampoon because all you can really do is it, it doesn't get any any more ridiculous than it already is. Like, I, I mean, have you guys seen? What is it? Like, The Expendables and some of the Jason Statham movies. Like, it gets so over-the-top. Or, like, a crank. Like, you can't make fun of it because it's already so ridiculous.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: So, this is about The Matrix. So, hi, Wisecrack, Clu- uh, Wisecrack Crew, longtime listener, first-time caller. My name is Vonamir, hailing from a small town in western Herzegovina. God, I'm such an idiot. I know... Yeah, that's where it is. <laughs> I'm glad anyway, you're saying it on me Jesus um, but uh, upon listening to the last episode of show me the meaning a thought struck me our memories are constantly shuffled and reshuffled throughout our lives so it could be possible that some of them maybe even the most important ones the ones that form the foundation of our person are a fabrication of our subconscious or other mechanisms in the brain in a way we all live in the matrix if that is the case now if Morpheus comes to you and tells you that a memory you hold most dear and has played the biggest role in forming you the way that you are today is false. And he offers you two pills, one that will show you what really happened and one to forget that you had that, that conversation with him. Which one would you take?
0: Well, I guess my question would be once the truth is revealed to you, I mean, eventually then that just becomes a memory too. And
2: don't we just find
0: ourselves in the same problem?
2: Unless there was a way to—I think the question is, is if somehow you could take a pill and then completely awaken yourself from that tendency mm. to where you would never be involved in this fabricating process, but that you would just truly understand memories as they really were. And then you would truly sort of self-destruct or self-deconstruct all the things that you hold most precious and dear to yourself. This also fits th- with th- the th- Inside th- Out I podcast t- too, right?
0: Right, yeah. I think I would take the blue pill because— That would rob all of my, all the positive associations I have with my memories. They would just be, you know, the way that I probably felt about them when it was happening, which is probably pretty middle of the road, you know, whereas the nostalgia, like, I'm not, you know, the nostalgia makes it seem candy-coated, you know, and, uh. And I need those repository of candy-coated memories. <laughs> but
2: have you, have you ever had those experiences where, like, you're chemically enhanced and you're in a fucking club or you're in a casino at 5 in the morning and you're on a beach in fucking paradise or something and you look around and you're like, this is unreal. Like, it does not get better than this. And then, nostalgically, I look back on it and I'm like, man, that was amazing. But in the moment, like, the flow of chemicals were so crazy that, I don't know, man. Maybe I would like to relive that as it was, quote unquote, if it were possible.
0: So does that mean you could like revisit a time that you orgasmed and just feel the exact yeah, same like maybe, uh, intensity right? of the orgasm? Well, then fuck. Yeah. Give me the red pill, man. <laughs> 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 okay, then. It's like, dude, chill. I'm Chill. I'm remembering. Leave me alone. <laughs>
1: you got a bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. I'm about to go remember
0: in there for a bit. Uh, yeah i know i hear what you're saying but you know like i'm trying to think of a an example like for example like you know like i have like these ideas of like the 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 best meal of my life you know i'm sure that there's a level of nostalgia and if i you know like i don't want to ever taste that food again because it can never stand it can it, it will probably never stand up to the way that I remember I think it what tasted like of course yeah
2: sure well and I would even say that actually from like a from a more properly substantial philosophical point of view that even in the moment the intense experience that you're feeling is also conditioned by previous memories So, I mean, I tend to think that the imagination is what conditions our consciousness anyway. This is what a lot of my research has been about, about imaginative consciousness as being the sort of framework that conditions all present experience. And so I'm not sure that you could ever have a quote-unquote purely objective or like real non-imaginative or non-fabricated experience. I think it's all filtered through language and memory and self-reflection, which is all socially constructed and all of these weird mental complexes that all impinge on a given moment. But... If we could break out of that mold somehow and live in, like, a non-linguistic or non-reflective or non-imaginative state, I mean, it sounds pretty fucking crazy. I mean, isn't that what we at (laughs) least project onto animals? Like, isn't that what we think? Like, the way that an animal just enjoys a fucking – the same food that they've had a thousand times or the way that an animal gets so excited to see you coming home from work. Whereas, I don't know, when your chick comes home from work or your dude comes home from work, are you as excited as that fucking dog is? No, man, because dogs are – better because they don't have all that fucking linguistic baggage. I
1: think dogs have that baggage. I just think they're hungry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And that is why you
0: don't fuck with a man's dog. And on that, we're going to end the podcast. So thank you guys for joining me. Greg and Austin, where can we find you guys on the internet?
1: Uh, You can find me at Greg the Grouch on Twitter or Greg Comedy on Instagram.
2: And Austin? Uh, You can hit me up on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden.
0: H-A-Y-D-E-N. Cool. Hit me up at at wisecrack or at father of Woody on Instagram. And just want to let you guys know, if you have a second to give us a review on iTunes, it would mean the world to us. Uh, really, really, really helps us out. And it would be very meaningful to Greg, Austin and I. So thank you for those of you who are leaving us a review. And uh, that's about it for today. So thank you guys. And we'll see you next week. Next week, by the way, we are doing The Matrix Reloaded.
1: Oh, awesome. All right. All right.
0: Yeah. All right. See you guys. Thank you so much. Peace.
1: Signing off from Los Angeles.
0: Later.